Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends, and probably some rando too. But no complaining, because this is free. Free! This is Beauty and the Beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. Blonde recently pinch hit for a last minute cancellation for a speaking series at the University of Texas El Paso for their college Republicans group. She took questions from the group and they talked a variety of current issues on the eve before the election. They had a few technical difficulties, so you may notice some interruptions. I've edited it down to minimize any gaps. This speaking series at University of Texas El Paso is called Unfiltered. And it featured Dr. Jordan Peterson last week, and later will feature Gavin McInnes, that guy T, among some others, and yours truly, who will deliver a presentation on my eviction from the left on November 15th. That presentation will also be available to listen to here on the podcast audio platforms, as well as the group's YouTube channel, which I have linked in the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Okay, so after six trial and error calls... We are finally here with Blonde in the Belly of the Beast. Uh, she's also known as Libtard America in, on Twitter. Uh, Beauty from Beauty and the Beta podcast with Matt Christensen. Uh, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? We're doing good. Uh, I'm Isaac Yepes, uh, the recruitment officer for the UTEP College Republicans, and we would like to welcome you and thank you for doing this on such short notice. Uh, oh, thank you for inviting me. Cool. I haven't done one of these before. Yeah, this is uh, the second time we've done this, so it's a little <laughs> shaky for us. Uh, let's let's dive right into it. Uh, you had an altercation via Twitter with uh, was it Robert Hill? Uh, Daniel Hill. Daniel Hill, and he doxed your family. Now, yeah, can you tell yeah, us about a that? Journalist from the Riverfront Times. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, and that's like our our hometown newspaper, and so he wrote this, he's the music editor, he wrote this scathing article about me, where basically he just called me a bitch and a hoe the whole time, like didn't, you know, put to rest any of my arguments, and then he got to, on Twitter, and he's like, he had mined my last name from the comments from people I went to high school with, <laughs> and then he posted my parents' names, like my brother's names, and their occupations on Twitter. So, and my, my information had been anonymous until then, and so I was really worried, because my, my dad's a doctor, I was really worried about, like, his practice, and my brother as well, and I was, like, ugh, getting threats all, all that week and everything, but he immediately shut down his Twitter account, and I'm sure he's gotten in some serious trouble at his paper, so he hasn't really made a, made a he hasn't come back from underneath the water, he's not back on Twitter yet, this was, like, a month ago. Now, do you know whether this was politically motivated, or why exactly did he, he do what he did? Because it's incredibly unprofessional. Uh, yeah, I think it was politically motivated. We have a lot of hipsters in St. Louis. Like, it's a really run-down community, and so they're trying to revive it by bringing in this artist culture, this, like, home-brewing, bearded, like, poor artist type. I'm like, this is not going to work, guys. It's totally not going to work. And so I could tell we were ideologically opposed. And he probably had friends that went to my high school and stuff like that. It might have been even personal. You know how people get about their hometowns. <laughs> yeah. It was my hometown, too, you know? And it was sad to just see it crumble while I lived there. Now, when you, when you see events like this take place and people are, are taking very personal shots at others, uh, especially we see it a lot on the left going against the right, 
Uh, do you yeah. think it's because the tide is starting to change, or do you think this vitriol is to suppress uh, any any tide changing in the future? Um, I think that that the left they have this tendency to kind of act like petulant children. And so when they feel like their territory, even their intellectual space is being encroached upon, they're going to lash out um, in like a verbally abusive way or even in a violent way. And I think this is just a pattern that we're seeing. And so I think that it's both that it's being encroached upon um, and that the tides are turning. Like they're feeling very threatened. And that's why we're, we're seeing this position of, of defensiveness on the left right now. Like really crazy stuff like the Donald Trump child rape accusation that's totally baseless. Like we're seeing them like go for the, the groin right now. Yeah. Now, given that, especially with with Donald Trump and the election tomorrow, um, do you think even though the uh, GOP establishment has largely not uh, endorsed uh, Donald Trump until recently, do you think that he's a necessary person for this this new cultural libertarian movement? Um, do you mean like from the perspective of the GOP? From the the perspective of of the the right as a whole, uh, GOP you know, the alt-right and others uh, affiliated with uh, right-wing ideology. I mean, I think he's going to redefine conservatism as we know it. And we've seen this from the reaction of establishment conservatives as well, like McCain and Paul Ryan. Like, I think that what the alt-right really is about is about saying it's a big F you to the establishment. And that means Republicans, too. And so we're going to see, like, a, a, think of restructuring of both parties, um, because that's really what people, you know, like the Bushes, as far as I'm concerned, they might as well just be the Clintons. Like when I look back, back at that era, I'm like, you know, this is one and the same. These are, these are big government people that are thirsty for power um, and just want to expand their prowess globally. And they're all globalists, too. They're all globalists. And so I think that we're really going to see a return to actual material conservatism within Republicans. Now, a lot of people, uh, they hear the term globalists, but... I don't think they, they truly understand it. So can you can you define that and then define how it is uh, antithetical to nationalism? Um, when I think of globalism, I think about a borderless society, especially from an economic standpoint. And that's antithetical to capitalism because it only capitalism is only really effective when everybody is able to make their own domain work and function like a well-oiled machine. And so that this borderless society we run into some problems. Because nobody's really specialized at what their country is best at. And so we run into problems with trade, with manufacturing. Um, everything just becomes a big clusterfuck. Ooh, sorry. Oh, you said I cut. Sorry. Yeah, it's fine. You are, you are good to go. <laughs> Super professional, right? Yeah, you're, you're getting some, some uh, positive feedback for that one. Uh, now, with, with the shifting political alignment in Europe right now, do you think that's going to carry over into the U.S. or are we uh, going to stay apart from that? Because they are clearly rejecting cultural Marxism and uh, open borders uh, with the incredible uh, right-wing, uh, extremely right-wing um, positions such as uh, Golden Dawn or the Austrians uh, voting in one of their extreme right-wing right. guys. Um, I think that we are seeing that phenomenon with Trump. I mean, all, all of these people, Marine Le Pen, um, they're all uh, nationalists, you know, gear wielders. Um, I think that that is really what is that at the root of all of these movements. It's that people are, are tired of being told that they can't be nationalistic and they can't be patriotic. Um, and this is just a, a movement of populism. It's a movement of nationalism. And so I kind of think that it's all one and the same and that it's all brewing, you know, from a really deep place. But I think it's 
more pervasive in Europe right now because they have a very pressing, pressing problem with um, economic migrants and Islam invading their countries, which we're not really seeing because we still have a Muslim population less than 1% probably. Now, given these, these sudden changes, uh, do you think that there will be a, a revolution, be it, uh, albeit uh, peaceful, or do you think there might be a more violent reaction in the near future? Um, in our country? In uh, Europe. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what happens. Um, I think that Germany's probably already committed cultural suicide. I mean, they have a population of 29 million. They have 1.5 million economic migrants that are inassimilable. Um, I don't know how they're going to, in Sweden as well, I don't know how they're going to be able to take those countries back. Um, but France, if, you know, they get Marine Le Pen in, Denmark might be okay. If these countries, like, really tighten up their border control. They look to Hungary and Poland and Eastern European countries that are still, you know, functioning well and they have their border integrity intact, then they might be okay. But um, as far as this no side, I don't think that Germany's, I don't, I don't know how they're going to, how they're going to fix this. I mean. Yeah. And uh, with the West, you see this, this unique uh, perspective from the left wing where they seem to pose border security as a racial problem. Now, how, how do you respond to that and explain to somebody who takes that position that it is not indeed a, a racial uh, discrimination policy, it's, it's more of an economic security and, and uh, security of the nation uh, itself? Right, right. I like to tackle that, that issue by going straight to the ideology because, you know, speaking out against Islam, Islam is not a race. Um, and so I correctly point that out to people all the time, but they just like you know, boggles their mind, they just melt down. I'm like, no, 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 I'm talking about an idea, a problem I have with an idea and a group of people that have adopted this idea and it's manifesting itself in extremely destructive ways from a cultural perspective. Um, so I can skirt the entire race, race issue if I just talk about the ideology, but they still, you know, that still really gets their blood boiling. Yeah. <laughs> well. But I keep trying, I keep trying. Yeah, and uh, also with, with this, this left-wing ideology of making everything a problem of race or gender or some kind of identity, uh, how how do you see the the perspective working where uh, they claim to be the party of the people, but also uh, elitists in that uh, when they see people who vote for Donald Trump, they say you know they're uneducated, they're uh, they're poor, and they're just bigots because they don't have any experience and they're they're ignorant in terms of culture. What was the question? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, given given this ideology where they make uh, identity a problem in every way. Uh, how do you think it pans out for them that they are, uh, they claim to be a party of the people and at the same time uh, also elitists? Well, they're totally hypocritical. And this is really obvious in Seattle because it's all these like wealthy white elitists that are like, <laughs> you, need, you need multiculturalism and diversity in your communities, but they all live in like white rich enclaves where they never have interactions with anybody that's a minority. <laughs> so they're totally <laughs> critical about this. I'm like, who is whiter than like wealthy Democrats? I mean, <laughs> yeah. really. Well, we even have more racial diversity amongst, amongst Republicans these days. I mean, look at the Milos and people <laughs> like that. Like, we're a pretty yeah. diverse group. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, a lot of hypocrisy there. If, if you take a look at uh, the, the organization I'm a part of, uh, we're mostly Hispanic, and we took a trip uh, this weekend to Albuquerque to drive for uh, for Trump, and we were told we were fascists. We were told we were in the wrong neighborhood. We were told. Well, I was told personally that I was a wannabe white boy 
for disagreeing with affirmative action. Do you think that this is a result of cultural Marxism uh, turning everybody into two classes where you are you can only either be an oppressor or the oppressed? Yeah, I think that that's definitely true. And then I think that kind of promoting this divisiveness, um, it fractures society. And this is what the left really wants. They want to kind of be able to control people um, from behind the curtain, and that means that means destroying communities, that means destroying the nuclear family, that means destroying entities that are going to be able to stand on their own um, without government help, without government influence. And so those are the things that they really try to attack. And then by creating this war against the genders, this war against the races, they're able to very effectively go after those things. And why do you think this division is being caused? Uh, I don't think it it's really happening happening organically. I think it's uh, indoctrination within the education system. So what do you think right. the end goal of this is uh, supposed to be? I mean, I really do think that it's about, that their end goal is fracturing communities and making it, and having a lot of in-group fighting. Because with a population like that, um, it's able to, you're able to create chaos that you can then control and then you have the power. And, and we see this pattern throughout history. It's just, you know, fascism expressed in all these different ways, but it's, it's fundamentally the same thing. Yeah, and you see um, with Hillary Clinton, she claimed that under she and Obama's uh, care, we had uh, economic prosperity, but you look at the the <laughs> Americans on welfare uh, numbers, and it's completely oh, untrue. So, oh, yeah, and how they cook the, the books with the unemployment numbers, too. It's like, <laughs> I can't even believe that anybody believes the city. 4.9% unemployment. I'm like, have any of you been to L.A.? Tell me that there's 4.9% unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and with this election, we might see the Kim Jong Un, you know, ninety nine percent voter turnout for him. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, and how do you how do you feel about the the uh, media their portrayal of James Comey? Because when he first uh, you know kind of let Hillary Clinton go, they were saying, "Oh, he's great. He's he's standing up for for the the right causes." But then when he reopened the case, he was, you know, destroying democracy as we know it. Yeah, he's some right-wing shill. Yeah. <laughs> the rest are paying him. So, so how, do you, how do you think, and there's, there's side-by-side photos all over uh, Google and YouTube now about this uh, or hypocrisy. So what do you, yeah. thi- what do you think uh, people are going to see after the election, or do you think they're just going to sweep it under the rug? I mean... No matter what, this distrust of Hillary is not going to disperse, no matter what happens. Um, as far as the treatment of Comey is concerned, like, his behavior has been really inexplicable to me, but I can only imagine that he's being pulled between like huge internal forces at the FBI. I know the NYPD is involved now because uh, they have um, domain over the, the area where they got, got Anthony Weiner's laptop, so they're involved in this now, too. Um, and then he's got to be being pulled from the Clinton campaign and all of her people, which includes the mainstream media. I mean, there's so many people in the tank. So I kind of feel for Comey. I'm like pro Perry, you know. He seems like he's being pretty spineless. But he's also being pulled from so many directions. And, like, the Clintons, like, they are not messing around. They'll ruin you. They will ruin you. And he knows that. And uh, his career is on the line. But, I mean, the FBI lost all credibility as far as I'm concerned. I mean, next time I hear that they do something, I'm, I'm going to have to take it with a grain of salt because they've proven, at a minimum, they're incompetent and they may just be in the tank for Hillary. So they're not really an objective and different, you know, resource. Yeah, and, and speaking of Comey growing a pair, uh, 
Do you think Anthony Weiner may have just saved the election for Donald Trump? I know, right? Can you believe it? It's going to be Anthony Weiner that ends up saving Western civilization. <laughs> we know it. Just that squirrely guy. Who's just the worst. But he might have done it. And then Huma, who's like almost as bad as he is, you know, she's so icy. She might have saved us too. I don't know. We'll see. But I do know that they did not go through those 650,000 emails in nine days. I'm calling bullshit on that. There's mm -hmm. just no way. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even know what to make of this information. I mean, why did he even put out the letter in the first place? Why? Yeah, that was that was a bit of a strange uh, call there. And when you talk about inexplicable actions, uh, I, I remember you had uh, interviewed a woman after an altercation at a certain uh, rally where she was trying to get a man to uh, go home and he kept refusing to do that and refusing to obey her commands. And then she walked out of the... the the crowd and started crying. Can, can you elaborate on, on what happened exactly? Uh, that was at the Republican National Convention. I went with my podcast co-host, um, Matt. And it was this uh, super feminist girl. She was part of an organization called Code Pink. And she was fighting with this traditionalist man. And he was saying, you know, if you're going to have kids, you should stay at home with your kids. And she, you know, she told him to check his privilege. It was just like, ugh, it was so cringy. It was really hard to watch. But she had this, like, beta white knight guy that I could tell wasn't really her boyfriend but was just kind of comforting her and he was just waiting for her to start crying so that he could like be there for her. it's gonna be okay and so she just burst into tears because somebody has opposed her opinion and she's like oh, I don't know what to do nobody's ever said no to me before in my entire life and so she just goes over and just starts crying on this guy's shoulder and I mean you know in the real world you're gonna meet people that, that disagree with you and you're gonna have to engage in some conflict like you can't just be running and crying in your safe space or, you know, crying on this guy's shoulder, like, get it together. And so we were just laughing in her face. I mean, when I reviewed the footage, like, my parents were like, you are so mean. That was so mean of you. And I'm, I'm like, I just don't feel bad. I feel nothing but happiness and joy when I, when I review this footage. I mean, did this girl not have this coming? I mean, it was unbelievable. Check your privilege. Oh, God. <laughs> so do you think wow. that's going to be the, the next uh, biggest weapon in fighting cultural Marxism? Uh, not cowering down to moral implications and uh, moral commands. Uh, do, you, do you think that's why Donald Trump has seen such a rise? Yeah, yeah, I think that's important that we need to, to kind of just face this and just learn how to accept the personal attacks. I mean, if we look at what Trump does, he does, everybody says he's got kind of a fragile ego, and I think that's true, and he lashes out at people, but like, he also um, has made it okay for us to kind of take shots at each other without it just silencing the opposing party. Like, you know, these social justice warriors, they want to yell at me and call me a racist and a bitch. And, like, that doesn't affect me at all. It's like attack my argument. But they never want to do that. They never want to have a discussion about the ideas. And that's how you know that what they believe is because they can't stand behind it. And so do you think that this, this kind of uh, taking jabs at each other, do you think that will actually open up doors to dialogue? I think so, and Milo says it's a lot like, you've got to be on, on the edge of things. I always talk this way, I've always been kind of controversial, but like, I, I do believe that it's a way for us to kind of desensitize ourselves to a normal level of conversation where like, if I call somebody a fag or something, like it's not going to be some like, total meltdown, emotional meltdown, whatever. Um, and we need to get to that place because you can't function in the real world as a social justice warrior because these people are trying to change the world 
to fit their image of what is and is not acceptable. But that's not how things work. They need to, they need to reprocess and redefine their worldview because that's the only way they're going to be successful. Now, seeing some of these meltdowns uh, firsthand, uh, can you give us some highlights on what you saw at the RNC or any of the other in-person events that you did? Um, oh, man, some highlights. There was this one... Did we lose her? No. Oh. Oh, okay, you're back. You're back. <laughs> um, one, one conversation I had really stuck out in my mind, it was this girl, she was holding a shout your abortion sign. Um, and abortion is kind of an issue. When I was in college, I was a libertarian, I went to Mizzou, and abortion was kind of an issue where I was always like, eh, you know. But recently, I've really started to think that it's very revolting. And then I was talking to this girl at the um, Republican National Convention, and uh, my podcast host was like, do you believe that you should be proud that you had an abortion? And she like looked him dead in the eye, and she's like, absolutely, I'm proud. Absolutely, I'm proud of that. And I was just like, like totally stunned. I'm like, in what perverse world do we live in that a girl can kill her own child and say that it's a point of pride with the kind of person that she is? Like we have, we have gone so far from where we came from as a society. Like this degeneracy is just shocking, and it was a slow drip. I didn't, I didn't even notice it happening until one day I looked around and I'm like, wow, everybody's a degenerate. We're all <laughs> Now, um, you mentioned uh, you went to Mizzou and uh, recently Melissa Click and the Concerned Student 1950, I think, um, they kind of uh, destroyed the fabric of that university with what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, now, what is your take on that given that you, you did graduate from there? I graduated in 2010, and I swear to God, I do not remember, like, half of this social justice warrior nonsense. But I never saw any real instances of racism when I went there uh, either. Like, it was, a, you know, everybody existed symbiotically. So when I started seeing this stuff happening, I'm like, wow, five years, and this place, this entire institution has gone to shit. But it has basically rendered my degree worthless because even though my channel has rendered my career, you know, I'm never going to be able to get another job anywhere publicly ever again. Um, but people will look at my Mizzou degree be like, oh, finance from Mizzou, worthless. Should have gone to trade school. <laughs> and then their uh, their tuition or not their tuition, their enrollment is down um, like thirty percent this last year. They're out thirty five million dollars. Like people don't want to go to these schools where you know you're just going to have a crappy liberal arts education. You're going to be forty grand in debt, and then when you get out of school, you're not going to get a job. Like yeah, people people are going to want to be plotters again after that. Okay, so we lost you there. Not oh, quite sure yeah. what happened. Um, I don't know, uh, but... Oh, oh, there we go, there we go. Okay. okay, we're good? Yeah, and it wouldn't pick up on my phone either, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Um, so, as you were saying... <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Colleges and safe spaces, University of Chicago... Um, Chicago. I can't remember where I was going with that. That's where we were at. What was yeah. the original question? Where did we stop? You were talking about but what was the original question? Oh yeah, um, the selling point of uh, colleges, the new one, will that's be right, the rejection. Right. Um, I mean, colleges are businesses, so they don't want to have you know schools that nobody goes to. They've got to make money too. And if the norm is getting an education <coughs> that's going to teach you something, like a tangible education, like it used to be, you know, not everybody went to college. Now it's a requirement. Um, then they're going to tailor their curriculum uh, to teach you valuable skills like they used to. 
And and do you think that's why there's been a surge in the value of uh, trade schools because of this? I, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I think that people can kind of feel that their economic problems are brewing, and so instinctively they want to acquire kind of harder skills, more you know, not more difficult, but like more tangible, more real skills. Now uh, we have a couple of questions from the room. Uh, what message does it send? Uh, to the American people, if Clinton wins the electoral college vote, but Trump wins the the uh, popular vote, I mean, I think it's going to reinforce this this rigged system dealio that Trump has made so abundantly clear. But I think he's right about that, even though it's kind of like a tired a tired line. I mean, if we are in a situation where somebody like Hillary Clinton can cheat Bernie Sanders out of the nomination and then like slide her way into the presidency just barely while basically being under federal investigation. Like we got to seriously rethink our democracy uh, because it is not working. <laughs> it's not, if that happens, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like we got to take a new route. <laughs> the America project has failed if Hillary gets in. Yeah. And given, given this, this, uh, the scandal with Bernie Sanders, uh, why do you think it, it hasn't mattered to the DNC that this was rigged and they were caught doing it? Um, like people within it or de Democrats? Uh, well, I, I guess Democrats as a whole. I mean, that's been hard for me in this election because I'm like, can't you guys see what she's doing and what she's done? Doesn't it offend your moral sensibilities? Um, and so it's something that I've learned about the left through this whole process, that they they really have an ends justify the means attitude. And then they, they don't have to deal with their conscience because they think that they're doing the right thing. And so that allows them to be just impossible fascists under the guise of being benevolent, which just makes them very, very dangerous. And we saw this, uh, this kind of mindset uh, a couple weeks ago when Lauren Southern herself was attacked. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you make of, of this, this sentiment taking hold? Because it's, it's a lot stronger in, in Canada from what I've seen. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to see these people for what they are, but they can't see themselves for what they are. I mean, but this mentality is what led people to, although they didn't fundamentally agree with it, to be Nazis because of social pressure. I mean, what they want is a collective that is governed by elitists, and they want a, you know, a, a globalist society. And that, that's a really, this is, you're talking about the Jordan Peterson event, right? Or yes, ma'am. Is he, he's also um, being interviewed by you? He was our first Oh really? Yes, ma'am. It went really well. He ripped into cultural Marxism like I've never seen before. That guy is tough, and he's right. Did you see that they were yelling shame at him? Yes. Shame. shame. <laughs> like, oh my god, these people—they are you even listening to yourself? Like, look at what you're doing. You're literally publicly shaming somebody for promoting freedom of speech. Like, these people should should be able to self-reflect and see that this is ridiculous, but they just can't. Well, I mean, the, the 50th time they said shame, I, I started to change my mind. Um, I know, right? <laughs> oh, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> now, um, I, th I think a lot of this started coming to a head with, with third-wave feminism uh, regaining popularity. Now, what, what are your feelings towards uh, feminism? Um, so I guess I never would have really identified as a feminist, but always kind of was one. Um, and so I majored in finance and economics, then I worked on Wall Street, and like, after college, I was just like, this is uh, terrible, this is ruining my life, like, I'm wasting my 20s, um, I just want to be a mom, but I have all this pressure to have an amazing career that's making me, like, really fundamentally unhappy, and nobody 
gave me that as like a potential outcome for my life. It was like, you're going to have a career, not like if you want to have a family instead, then that's an okay thing to do. It's like, no, you're going to have a career. Society is going to shun you. And so I'm do I was doing something that was making me very unhappy and like, I just hated my lifestyle, hated my life. And I was like, why, why is this not giving me satisfaction? And then it took a few years for me to realize that it's because I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do, which was, you know, meet a nice guy, have kids, raise said kids. And so I've been very resentful towards third wave feminism for kind of um, making me feel like I was, uh, you know, less than for fundamentally wanting a lifestyle that's more natural for a woman to achieve. Um, and so I've, I've had this really hostile relationship with feminism ever since I realized that they're, they're really indoctrinating women and telling them that something that is probably not going to make them happy definitely will make them happy and it's the only way that they're going to be successful. But if all these women in the career world that like aren't succeeding, um, if they had kids, they'd probably be great moms, you know? <laughs> That's a really important job. It's a really important job. Um, and so I think that it's important, especially for people in college like you guys, all marry each other. Start having kids. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, now, there's this, this conflation of, of movements and ideologies with identities of people. You have Black Lives Matter with black people, and you have feminism with women, but uh, polls come out year after year, and it's showing that, no, this is not the case at all, not even a, a, a majority of these classes of people, as they want to call them, uh, agree with this ideology that's supposed to be right. pro their identity. So why do you think that they, they do this, and they're, they're unable to, to uh, separate the two, the, the, the movement with the, the person? Um, I think it's probably easier to deal with these things and to control people when there's pressures like as a whole. They don't want to deal with the with the individual, and that kind of goes you know across the board. They're not thinking like, well, this is what's best for this woman. It's about attacking the family unit, and the best way to do that from a feminist perspective is you know to force a woman into a career beyond her childbearing years, like things like that. Um, am I frozen because you're lagging? A few seconds. Um, no, you're good. Ooh, now you're frozen again. Oh. oh, no. Can you can you hear me? Oh, okay. We're good. We're good. All right. <laughs> um, but I, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> you were... <laughs> Crap, I don't remember. Um, Black Lives Matter conflating. Why can't they separate? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you, you see this treatment of black conservatives especially, like, uh, you know, Ben Carson, like how the black community treats Ben Carson. It's like, shouldn't you be happy of... You know, this guy that came out of the Detroit ghetto and is now, like, a renowned surgeon at John Hopkins, should you be like, wow, this black success story? But it's like, he's not the right kind of black guy, you know? And, and that's the way that they treat all these rich people. I'm not the right kind of woman. Milo's not the right kind of gay. Blair White's not the right kind of tranny. Um, so they can't only deal with these things on a whole. They only speak in generalities because they're collectivists. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a very dangerous thing because, uh, especially around here, if you're a Republican Hispanic... Um, or a Hispanic Republican, uh, they, they call you a sellout or uh, I think it's a, a coconut or something like that. <laughs> You're whitewashed. And <laughs> what are the other ones? I'm, I'm hearing a bunch. But um, you, you hear these sort of things, but I, I want to make it very clear that, you know, we don't owe La Raza a damn thing because they never gave us anything. So yeah, yeah. why do you think that there's this idea behind... Uh, a person's skin color, and then having to owe themselves to the the greater uh, demographic. I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily that way, but that's the only way it's going to work for the left. If people maintain these allegiances to their ethnicity above, you know, assimilation above Americanism, 
Um, and that's what they want. That's why they're constantly vouching for ways that people that move to this country can, you know, retain the negative aspects of their culture and implant that in American culture. It's just about breaking the foundational values apart. That's always what it comes back to with the left. So do you think that these, these social justice movements, uh, do you think the members of them have become the new brown shirts and then they have replaced Jewish people with white people? <laughs> I mean, yeah, in many ways. We're not, obviously not facing persecution to like that degree or anything like that, but like, I mean, the same, the tactics are the same. It's, um, it's all ad hominem attacks. It's a lot of psychological warfare. It's a lot of public shaming, um, you know, social alienation. And I think women are particularly susceptible to this. I read some study that, like, a woman being alienated from her peers it has the same kind of psychological damage as, like, losing somebody in her immediate family. Um, and so I think that these psychological tactics of social alienation, and that's how they're pushing, you know, feminism on, on women. They say, like, if you're not a feminist, you don't believe in equality between the genders. Um, that's how they, they truly, uh, you know, they, that's how they truly affect all of us, because they're able to control us in that way. And that was a methodology of brown shirts, I'm sure. And a lot of propaganda. And, and you see that especially with uh, Francesca Ramsey and Lacey Green of, of, of uh, MTV, their, their new so-called shows. Um, now, it's so hypocritical, I, especially Lacey Green, who like can't, like if somebody calls her a bitch, she's like, I can't believe that you would say something so offensive to me. But then she's teaching like 15-year-olds how to have anal sex. Like, do, you not see, <laughs> do you not see the incongruity here, Lacey Green? But she doesn't. She thinks she's like doing like a big service for women. Oh, gosh, she's the worst. And then the race baiting of that other one is mm. downright dangerous. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> when, when uh, these individual women are insulted... Uh, a lot of the time when I get into arguments on campus about Donald Trump, they say, well, just think of, or just look at the way he treats women, and I, I counter that with, well, he insulted individual women, not women as a whole. But they, they seem to think that they are equal to men, but you can't treat them the same as a man. Because if we look back at what Donald Trump had said to, to men, uh, using their line of, of reasoning, it would exactly. serve to say, doesn't he it's hate men too? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but, and I made a video about this, but like women, uh, feminists, they don't want true equality because that would mean, you know, it's not like we would have equality just for all the cushy office jobs. It means we also have to like go to war, be plumbers, like be lumberjacks, like jobs that would really, really suck and nobody wants to do and men end up doing. And then chicks are like, I want to do those jobs too. No, you don't. You don't want to do that job. That's a terrible job. I just find it hard to believe that all these feminists like really want firearms training and to go to war. Like they would just be screwed. Yeah. Well, based on your uh, your Halloween Twitter pick, I think you would make a great lumberjack. Um, God, stupid skag. I was so mad at him for making me do that. <laughs> no cross dressing. No, you're gonna ruin my image. <laughs> oh, sorry. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, my little dog. I just pressed on his. Oh. <laughs> I am awesome at this. Yeah, I think he just he just won the entire room over. Um, <laughs> now, uh, come on, man. <laughs> with with things like uh, the Hitler attacks, that's. That's becoming the new norm. It's, uh, well, did you know, you know, Hitler liked ice cream, therefore you <laughs> like ice cream, therefore you're a terrible person. Uh, do you think it's ever going to be um, 
a real a reality to separate a person from uh, some good things that they've done, even if the popular opinion is that they're evil? Um, I certainly hope so. Hope so. I mean, the only way that we're going to be able to combat cultural Marxism is with nuanced thinking. I mean, it, dealing in all these black and white, this classism, this gender identity issue, this, this is just, this is all black and white thinking. And unless we can develop, like, a more intricate thought process whereby we recognize that somebody can be both good and bad, both right and wrong in some instances, then we're not going to be able to climb our way out of this despair that we have gotten our, you know, into because of this cultural Marxism mindset. Is it so Austin to really live, right? Yes, but we are in El Paso. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, Dr. Peterson did the same thing. Um, <laughs> we're a very small uh, group here. And uh, I think we are running out of time, but I would like to have a closing statement from you, uh, whatever it may be. Well, I'm really glad to be talking to college Republicans, because that's about the age when I started realizing, wow, almost everything that I have learned is nonsense, and now I need to unlearn this and take my education upon myself. And so the fact that you guys are here and like doing things like this in your free time and for, for a club, it's really admirable, and I'm sure you guys are getting really good educations. Um, so yeah, you've avoided the social justice warrior mindset in your most formative years, your most developmental years, so you should all be really proud of yourselves. And I'm, it was an honor to come and talk to you, and I really appreciate it, so thank you so much for that. All right, thank you, and thank you again for taking this on such short notice. Uh, we oh, will... of course, sorry for the technological problem. I don't know if that was me or you. So oh, it's, yeah, it's totally fine, and uh, we hope you tune in uh, with us for uh, your partner, Beta, <laughs> who will be on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right, you have a good night.